0: As we go to open God's word together, let's ask him to bless it to us. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, our eyes long for your salvation and for the fulfillment of your righteous promise. Deal with your servants according to your steadfast love and teach us your statutes. Father, we are your servants. Give us understanding that we may know your testimonies and hear our prayers for we ask them in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Please be seated. And please turn with me in God's word to Psalm 135. Psalm 135. We want to think about this psalm together in connection with the second petition of the Lord's Prayer, Psalm 135. If you're using one of our Pew Bibles, you'll find that on page 659 of many of our Pew Bibles. Psalms is in the Old Testament between Job and Proverbs, really close to the middle of your Bible. And we want to think about Psalm 135 together. So, Psalm 135, and let's pay careful attention, for this is God's own word. Praise the Lord, praise the name of the Lord. Give praise, O servants of the Lord, who stand in the house of the Lord, in the courts of the house of our God. Praise the Lord, for the Lord is good. Sing to his name, for it is pleasant. For the Lord has chosen Jacob for himself, Israel as his own possession. For I know that the Lord is great, and that our Lord is above all gods. Whatever the Lord pleases, he does, in heaven and on earth, in the seas and all the deeps. He it is who makes the clouds rise at the end of the earth, who makes lightnings for the rain, and brings forth the wind from his storehouses. He it was who struck down the firstborn of Egypt, both of man and of beast who in your midst, O Egypt, sent signs and wonders against Pharaoh and all his servants, who struck down many nations and killed mighty kings, Sihon, king of the Amorites, and Og, king of Bashan, and all the kingdoms of Canaan, and gave their land as a heritage, a heritage to his people, Israel. Your name, O Lord, endures forever. Your renown, O Lord, throughout all ages For the Lord will vindicate his people and have compassion on his servants. The idols of the nations are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths but do not speak. They have eyes but do not see. They have ears but do not hear, nor is there any breath in their mouths. Those who make them become like them. So do all who trust in them. O house of Israel, bless the Lord. O house of Aaron, bless the Lord. O house of Levi, bless the Lord. You who fear the Lord, bless the Lord. Blessed be the Lord from Zion. He who dwells in Jerusalem, praise the Lord. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. May he bless it to us. Well, as I said, we want to continue our consideration of the Lord's Prayer, and we've come to the second petition of the Lord's Prayer, the second request that we make in the prayer, uh, thy kingdom come. And it's interesting if we think about this, I think for many of us, we're so familiar with the Lord's Prayer, we don't pause and reflect a lot on it. That's why I'm so thankful to go through the catechism on a regular basis and to really pause and reflect on those words and phrases that we use so often. And we see at the very beginning of our prayer that our, the Lord's Prayer reminds us that God is our Father, that God is our Father who is powerful. He's in heaven Uh, reminds us that His name is glorious and that one of our chief desires is that His name would continue to be known in all the earth. And the second thing we ask for is that His kingdom would come, um, which reminds us as part of our prayer that our God is a king, right? To have a kingdom that comes reminds us that our God is also a king. Our great Father in heaven, whose name is glorious, is also a great king, Um, And it reminds us that a chief part of our prayer is that the kingdom would come. And I thought it's wonderful that we can think about this in connection with and think more about the kingdom of God since in the morning we've been going through the gospel of Mark and so much of what Mark's gospel is reflecting on is how the kingdom is coming and how we should enter that kingdom as we thought about a little bit this morning. And the Lord's Prayer is reminding us from the other aspect of it. We want to be those who enter into the kingdom, but we also want the kingdom to come. And that's what we pray for in the Lord's Prayer and to understand what it means to have God's kingdom come. And it's always important for us as we come and think about the kingdom of our God that we recognize what it is that we are considering and how we want to define it. Uh, We have a lot of discussion in our day about the kingdom of God and, and the two kingdoms of God and how we should think about the kingdom of God. And I think it's good for us to think about and spend some time thinking about the kingdom because it depends on what you mean and how you're talking about the kingdom. It's important if you really want to understand what aspect of the kingdom we are talking about. Um, And I think almost always when you find people reflecting on the kingdom of God, the place they always begin is to say, of course, our God's kingdom is universal. Um, Our God is king over all. There's nothing that he is not king over. Um, The universal aspect of his kingdom is sometimes what we think about. Um, Ursinus, one of the principal authors of the Heidelberg Catechism, described the universal kingdom of God in this way. He said, it's that in which God alone rules and exercises dominion over all creatures, but especially does he govern and preserve the church. This kingdom is universal. Um, The first thing we can think about when we come to the kingdom of God is just to remember that God is king over all. Uh, There's no no part of the world, there's nothing in the world that God is not king over and exercising dominion over, Uh, the universal aspect in that sense of the kingdom of God. Uh, But oftentimes when we talk about the kingdom in Scripture, we're talking about the special way in which God governs His church. So we can talk about the universal aspect of God overall, and then we can talk about the special aspect of God's particular care and concern for His church. We recognize that Christ is our king in a way that he's not king for those who don't acknowledge his rule. He's still king over them, but he's king over them as rebels who don't desire to be part of his kingdom, who are in open rebellion against their king. It's very different for those who have, by grace through faith, submitted to Christ, submit to his lordship, submit to his kingship, and seek to follow their king. And so we sometimes refer to that as the special kingdom, and that's the sense in which we pray thy kingdom come. Um, And we know we can't be praying thy kingdom come for the universal kingdom because the universal kingdom has always been, will always be, will never go away. God will always be king over all. God will always be king in that universal sense. So when we pray the kingdom would come, we pray it in that special sense. And as I was thinking about when we usually treat this subject of the kingdom of God, because the catechism is clearly talking about that special way God rules over his people, uh, sometimes we mention the universal aspect of his kingdom and then move on to talk mostly about the special aspect of his kingdom. And I thought we could take time to do both. Um, And so I wanted to think about Psalm 135 in connection with the fact that our God is king over all. And to think about that universal aspect of his kingdom that should be of such comfort to us. To be reminded as Christians that God always has been the king of his creation. That he always will be the king over his creation. That everything God has made, everything that goes on in this world is under his dominion. Is under his rule. And so in one sense, what we're really doing this week is just thinking about the question, and Lord willing, we'll think about the answer to Lord's Day 48 later. But we want to think about that kingdom of God. I think especially when Christians look around in the world and see things that are, that are happening that are not as we want them to happen, um, see things happening in the world that are troubling, um, wondering where the world will go and where it will go for our children and where it will go for our grandchildren. It's particularly important to remember God's kingdom, that God is still ruling on his throne. We never want to be Christians who talk and act as if God is not king, as if God is not ruling over all that is happening in this world. And so Psalm 135 is a wonderful psalm to think about in connection with that great theme, that we have a God who is king over all. This is a particularly interesting psalm. Uh, one commentator called it an anthology of praise uh, because he said this psalm either echoes quotes or is quoted by some other part of scripture Um, it seems to be drawing from themes in scripture and other places in scripture draws from this psalm to think about the greatness of our god and how our god is worthy of being praised it's a wonderful collection and anthology of praise Um, And I think if we think about where it is in the Psalter, we can see why an anthology of praise like this would come at this place in the Psalms. Um, A while back, we had the privilege of going through the Songs of Ascents, which are Psalms 120 through 134. Uh, so, 135 comes after 134. You can put that in your notes. My, my great insight for you for the evening. Um, but one of the reasons that's important that Psalm 135 follows 134 is because 134, in many ways, is a song that lifts up praise, that concludes the, the songs of ascents. Um, but people have noted it's a little bit of a strange psalm in this sense. Look at Psalm 134, it's only three verses. It says, come bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord, who stand by night in the house of the Lord. Lift up your hands to the holy place and bless the Lord. It's a call to worship that begins the psalm. And then how does the psalm end? May the Lord bless you from Zion, he who made heaven and earth. And people have said, this is kind of a strange psalm for this reason. There's a call to praise, and then there's a closing benediction, but there's no praise in between. Um, if you're old enough to remember, where's the beef, right? Where's the, where's the praise? Where's all the reason for praising God that ought to fit between a call to worship and a closing benediction? Right? It would be a strange thing if I got up here and started the service and then immediately pronounced the benediction and walked, up, walked off. You'd all be asking yourselves, what do we pay this guy for? Um, and so people have said, where, where's the praise? And in some ways, you look back to all the songs of Ascent and say, there's where the praise is. Um, it's in all of these songs that have already been lifted up. They, they provide the praise for God's people here at the end. But in another sense, Psalm 135 beautifully supplies the praise. Um, Psalm 135, in a sense, is the praise that is lifted up to God by his people for all that he has done. It's almost as if all those who've ascended into Zion and are standing in the courts of God burst forth in this sort of praise for the kind of God we serve. And these are not empty phrases or mere platitudes. They're all rooted in the faithfulness of the Lord our King and the surpassing worthiness of Him to receive the praise of His people. Um, And all of this praise, I think, is really rooted in the kind of King our God is. Uh, He's praised because he is a great creator king. He's praised because he is a great calling king. And he's praised because he is a great caring king. That's really how this psalm thinks of praising our God, our creator king, our calling king, and our caring king. Why are God's people called to praise him in this psalm? Because he is our great creator king his his name is good that's why god's people are called to praise his name and where is god's goodness really seen in the world it's seen in the creation that he's made you notice how the psalm draws our attention to god's creation and his sovereignty over it in verses 6 and 7 in particular Whatever the Lord pleases, he does in heaven and on earth, in the seas and all deeps. It is he who makes the clouds rise at the end of the earth, who makes lightnings for the rain and brings forth the wind from the storehouses. There's a sense in which the creation that God has made and how he continues to work and move in the creation is a testimony to his goodness. What was God's pronouncement in Genesis when he surveyed the work of of his hands and considered his creative work. Um, Genesis 131 you remember tells us, and God saw everything that he had made and behold it was very good. The creation that God has made testifies to his goodness, to the kind of God that we have. And the psalm celebrates the fact that our Lord is good. His goodness is seen in the things that he makes and how he maintains the creation he's made. And the creation not only testifies that our God is good, it testifies that our God is great. It's a great God who can do this, who can create and who can move all that he's created to the end that he has purposed for it. It testifies to the greatness of our God. And the Holy Spirit is an artist, and so the way the Holy Spirit tells the story of God's goodness and greatness in this psalm is worth taking note of. Uh, His greatness is praised from the heights to the depths. Look again at at verse 6. Whatever the Lord pleases, He does, and we start in heaven, and then on earth, and in the sea, and in the deeps. What is being expressed there? Our God is great from high to low. As high as you go, our God is great in the heavens. As low as you go into the depths of the sea, our God is great. And haven't we pondered that when we think about the kinds of things God has made, when we think about the heavens and think about all of the great things works of, our, of his hands in the universe the the galaxies and the stars and the things we observe and then we know we can get down in the depths and look through a microscope and see another kind of world of complexity that our God has made from the heights to the depths he is God it shows his greatness and then the Holy Spirit says not just from high to low but to the ends of the earth our God is great heights and depths but also length and breadth in the world our God is great He makes clouds rise at the end of the earth. He makes the lightnings for the rain. He brings forth the wind from its storehouses. No matter how high you go or how deep you go, our God is great. No matter how far you go to the ends of the earth, our God is great. It's celebrating the range of the greatness of our God. He's made all of this. He's done all this. He continues to govern all of this, and he governs it by the word of his power. He commands and it happens. There's something really marvelous in verse 6. We'll get beyond verses 6 and 7, but think with me about verse 6. What an awesome statement that is. Whatever the Lord pleases, He does. That's power. It pleased Him to make the world, and so He did it. It pleases him to manage the world, so he does it. And how does he do it? By speaking. It's the power of his word that does all of this. That's what's so awesome to think about at the creation of the world, all the way back at the beginning. God simply speaks and things jump into being. I had a hard enough time in school in science thinking about how things work much less being the one who makes them work and keeps them working, right? We can talk a lot about the science of light. God simply said, let there be, and it was. That's the nature of his power. His word is power. Power. Someone commenting on the creation said, Since everything exists by the word of God, we must not think of creation independently of God. The word of God is the creative and binding force of life. God calls the world into being. Through God's word, creation is bound to God and the products of creation to one another. Christ, as the word of God, powerfully illustrates this. In Colossians 1, 15 to 17, through Christ the Father binds his people to the triune God. Right. All this is done by the Word of God. And then who does Christ come into the world? And what is the testimony about him? He is the word incarnate. He is the power of God come in the flesh. The word of God that made everything, that holds everything together, that is the Lord. The psalmist is saying the Lord's name should be praised. He's good and he's great. But something else that's wonderful about this psalm, it says not only is God worthy of praising, but it's good for us to praise his name. We praise the Lord because it's pleasant. It's good for us to do. Not only does God's majesty call for the praise of His creation, but it's pleasant and lovely for those who do it. It's a blessing to call on the name of the Lord. It's a blessing to praise Him. It's good for those who do it. Um, Those who love the Lord and, and know what it is to praise the Lord, we feel that, don't we? Right? Not all the songs I choose, they're not all winners, but... When we, when we have a song that we really love and that we really sing out and it's from our hearts and we don't need a book, we just know it, we sing it, it's the it's expression of our hearts. We know that it's good to praise the Lord. It's good for us, it's pleasant for us to do it. He's worthy of praise and it's good for his people when we do. And I think that's why Paul condemns people who don't worship the Lord so strongly in Romans 1. That they don't praise the Lord I think his condemnation is rooted in the fact, one, that the Lord deserves to be praised, and so it's wrong to rob him of the praise that's due his name. But when those in the world fail to praise his name, fail to worship him, they miss a blessing that he's intended for them. They miss the goodness of that. They miss what he's he's created to be pleasant for them. And I think that's why Paul says what he says in Romans 1, 20 through 25. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up to the lusts of their hearts, to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator, who was blessed forever. Amen. Um, they missed not only the glory that should have been due His name, but also the blessing that would have come with that. And they exchanged the truth for a lie, and the thing that was good and pleasant for something that offered no return, that only in fact increased their condemnation. It's a wonderful thing to know God and to be able to praise His name. And that's why the the psalm talks not only in terms of us worshiping our God, who is the great and good creator king, but also recognizing that it's this king who's called us to himself, that our God is the calling king. And we praise him not just because he is a great creator, but because he has called us to himself. The psalm is celebrating that this God who is great and who is good has become the God of his people. He's come to us and made his name known to us, that we have a personal relationship with this God, that he is known to us and has made himself known that we might have fellowship with him. That's one of the features of this psalm that we see over and over again. The name of the Lord is used. We say it all the time, that when you see Lord in all capital letters, that's his special covenant name, Yahweh. It's a name that only his people know. It's the name he's revealed to his people. The whole world can see the creator of God, that's Paul's point. All the world knows that God has made this world. You can't look at the world and miss that. It's only possible if you suppress the truth and unrighteousness. That's seen in the world. But to know his name, he has to make that known to his people. And God's people here in this psalm are singing praise out to him as the God they know. Not just the great creator of God who is seen in the world, but the Lord who has made himself known in connection with his people. Nineteen times the covenant name of the Lord is used in this psalm. Nineteen times God's people call out to the God they know by his name, who's made a covenant relationship with his people. Right, right at the beginning, praise the Lord. Give praise, O servants of the Lord, who stand in the house of the Lord, in the courts of the house of our God. The king who's called us to himself in covenant with him is the Lord whose name is, We know. And here, too, we see the artistry of the Holy Spirit. He's talking about a relationship with God in increasingly intimate terms. Think again of how Psalm 134 talks about God's people being in Zion, in Jerusalem, worshiping the Lord. And where did you come to worship the Lord? You went to the temple. And where could all of God's people go in the temple? Uh, They could stand in the court of the temple. But there was a place that only the priests could go into, that holy place in the temple. Only the Levites could go in there and go into that outer chamber, that holy place. And then there was a holy of holies. And only the high priest, only Aaron could go in there. And that's what this psalm is doing. It's singing praise about how we move closer to God in this psalm. First, there are the servants of the Lord, those who are outside in the court, all of the people of God. And then there are those who stand in the house of the Lord, the Levites. And then there are those who stand in the courts of the house of our God, in the inner courts, in the inner places, the place where only Aaron could go. That's why all of those groups of people come out again at the end of the psalm. Where all of Israel, all of the people of God are called to bless the Lord. And then also the Levites are called to bless the Lord. And the house of Aaron is called to bless the Lord. It's this picture of moving increasingly closer to God in worship. From the whole of his people to the priests of his people to the high priest of his people. Who minister right there where God was said to dwell above the cherubim. It's a picture of closeness. To our God, that we have the privilege of being His people and standing in His house. The Lord, who, verse 5 says, is great above all gods and is the great Creator God. The God who called His people and made Israel and Jacob His possession. The Lord who is our personal God. It's a wonderful thing to know the covenant Lord and be able to say, He is our God. But notice that the psalm also celebrates the fact that this God is also our personal God. Not just that we are standing in the house of our God as wonderful as that is, but He's the God that each of us knows. Right? That personal note of praise in verse 5, for I know that the Lord is great. It's not just that the Lord has called us as a group as glorious as that is, but that he's called each and every one of us who knows his name. That he is our individual calling God, whose name we know, with whom we have a relationship as a covenant people, but with whom we also have a personal relationship. He is my God, and who is our calling king, our covenant God, who has made his name known to us, it's our Lord Jesus Christ. He comes as Yahweh in the flesh to be our calling king. He joins the congregation of the people of God. He becomes like us. He becomes part of the people in the world. But he is also a high priest who stands ministering before the people in the courts of the house of our God. But he does something that that earthly high priesthood could never do, which was open the way so that we could all go into the Holy of Holies. Right, The house of Aaron would bless the name of the Lord, but they could never open the way to the Lord. Not in the way Jesus has. What has Jesus done? He's opened the way not only to an earthly Holy of Holies, but to the heavenly Holy of Holies. And he's torn open the curtain, which was his body so that we can go into the holy of holies. So we can go into the true holy of holies in heaven of which the earthly holy of holies was only a picture. He has opened that way for us by his body and blood so that we can enter in and praise God there in the courts of our God, lifting up praise to the God who's called us and who has saved us by the blood of his Son The reason we know him and the reason he is our God is because of the work of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because he has died for us on the cross and brought us into fellowship with the Father. He has come in the flesh as our calling king. And the psalm also celebrates that this God who created us and who called us cares for us. That's the wonderful thing that this psalm reflects on as well, that our God who has created us and who has called us is the God who cares for us. He is a king who never fails to care for his people. And what does this psalm celebrate? It celebrates all of that past care that God has given to his people. Right As God's people went up to Jerusalem and the festivals they celebrated, a lot of these things were remembered by them all that God had done for them in ages past, right? In verses eight through 12 chronicle what God had done from freeing them from slavery in Egypt to bringing them through the wilderness and into the promised land and all the victories that he worked to bring his people where they have come, right? Right after declaring the power of the Lord, the psalmist reminds us of how God used that great power on behalf of his people. That whenever their enemies came against them, the Lord was for them. I mean, again, the Holy Spirit's artistry, I think, is on display here when he talks about all of the places and all of the people who came against the people of God. I think he's painting a glorious picture here. Just listing all of the people and places that have come against God. All of the people along with their possessions who attacked God. God's people right Pharaoh of Egypt Sihon of the Amorites Og of Bashan all the kingdoms of Canaan there were all these kings and of these places that came against the Lord and they all went out into battle resisting God and who is God I think the psalm is holding out for us he is the Lord and his possession is his people Israel And whenever there was someone who came with his possession against the Lord and his possession, the Lord destroyed him. He took Pharaoh and destroyed him and gave the possessions of Egypt to his people. They went forth having plundered the Egyptians. And when Sihon and Og, of course we remember them, right, from um, east of the promised land who tried to prohibit God's people from settling there when they came against the Lord with their possession and they went against the Lord and his possession Israel he destroyed them too and what happened where they lived became part of the kingdom of his people his people settled in their lands and we go through Joshua and remember all the kingdoms of and kings of Canaan that came against the Lord's people he destroyed them all and what did he do he took their possession and gave it to his people And at the end of the day, who's left standing? When everybody comes against the Lord, what happens? The Lord defeats them, the Lord destroys them, and the Lord takes what belonged to them and gives it to his people. Their possession becomes his people's possession. That's the great care with which he cares for his people. And that's really what Jesus has done by his triumph. Right? Because he is the great caring king come into the world. And what happened? Sort of the last ditch effort to destroy and put off the kingship of God. Right? The last ditch effort by the most powerful spiritual enemies that were against his people. Sin and death and hell and the devil came and tried to match their possession against the king of glory. And what did he do? He destroyed it. He took it away from them, and the whole world became his, all authority in heaven and on earth, and he gives it to his people. Because everything is his, what does the New Testament celebrate? Everything has become his, and because we are his, everything has become ours. We are co-heirs with Christ. Because everything belongs to him, as our great king, everything belongs to us. What is this psalm doing for God's people? It's reminding them of the past care, to remind them that God is a king who will never stop caring for his people. His name endures forever. You're renowned throughout all ages, for the Lord will vindicate his people and have compassion on his servants. One of the great services the Psalms do for us is constantly point us back to what God has done and use that to encourage us that that is the God who still is caring for his people. Because the Lord cares for us and because he's always shown himself to be a caring God, God's people should never doubt the fact that God will care for us. When there are enemies that come against us, what does the psalm assure us? He will vindicate his people. There's a day coming when we'll be recognized in the world that those who served the king of glory belong to him. And they will be vindicated in the world before all of the enemies that arise against us. God will vindicate his people and he will have compassion on his servants. That's who he's always been. That's who he will always be for his people. Um, we won't see that fully until he comes again in glory. But it doesn't mean he's not doing it now. It doesn't mean that he is not ruling and reigning for his people. That his compassion is not still at work for us at the right hand of his heavenly father ever living to intercede for us. And he will vindicate his people and when Jesus returns in glory he will make all things new and we will see his glory in its fullness and we will realize all that he has accomplished on behalf of his people and on that day we will experience what it is to really be dwelling from the Lord with the Lord on Zion in the heavenly Jerusalem singing his praises with all the church in every age until that great day comes, we can go forth in this world knowing that our God is King. And the one who has made us and called us to himself will never fail to care for us. There's always a time and place to think about that special kingdom of God and how he cares for his people. But let's never lose sight that this world belongs to our God. And he's doing in this world what he's always done in this world for his people. And whenever we look around and are tempted to feel as if this world has just run amok. And we are tempted to despair. Remember the king that this psalm speaks about. Our good and great creator. Who is great and awesome in power. Our gracious Lord who has called us to himself and our caring king who defends his church in every age. And he was still the same yesterday, today, and forever, and who will not permit the gates of hell to prevail against his church and against the people he loves. To him be the glory now and forever. And what can we say but praise the Lord. Amen. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for this psalm, we thank you for this anthology of praise that helps us to think about how to raise praises to your name. And so, Lord, we pray that these things will be on our hearts and minds that would help us not to ever despair in this world or to look around and think that you are not seated on your throne and ruling and reigning even now, and may that be our hope. And when we meditate on it, Lord, may it drive us to praise your name for the God you are who has made us and who has called us to yourself and who continues to care for us now and forever. We praise your name. Amen.